Hi, and welcome to Unapologetic Women, a podcast about current affairs, culture, politics, life, and how we got here. Brought to you by Tony and Saoirse. Good morning. Hello. Good, good. Yeah, is it good? (laughs) (laughs) You're still in pain. We'll get there. It is a semi-good. Yes, no. It's a good morning for the algorithms in the world, Saoirse. Tell me more, Tony, please. (laughs) Actually, we should just dive in. There's some fun stuff. Um, Well, fun for some people anyway. Because we previously spoke about algorithms a couple of weeks ago, I actually wanted to just tie into some of the stuff that had been happening this week in the Senate. Um, So we both are going to talk about another topic, but to kick us off, I just thought it was useful. So there's a fair amount of executives from big tech companies, i.e. Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, they all gathered this week um, and they gathered in front of the US um, Senate Judiciary Subcommittee Mm -hmm. on Privacy and Technology. And they specifically just wanted to talk about their individual algorithms. And I believe this is the first time that we've had a subcommittee specific on algorithms. Um, And the focus was actually a lot of what we spoke about, like the fact that these algorithms are growing bigger, the fact that more people are using them. What are the effects that we're all seeing on our own social feeds? What are the effects of, you know, being prompted to view certain videos and certain content? How does that tie into misinformation? How does that tie into polarization? And I just, the piece that I just wanted to share, which I thought was interesting, was overall it came out that there was some kind of agreement that algorithms were both good, but we should also be careful because they can be misused and they could be bad. And we should be reflective and thoughtful about this. And I feel like that is the first time because technology has, you know, advanced a fair amount I think this is the first time that people are or the tech companies are sort of in agreement that yes it's good and bad and we just let's be reflective about this let's be thoughtful about where this is going and so it was just overall really great to hear senators both ask really hard questions that were thoughtful questions and for the tech companies to respond in a way that was sort of thoughtful and reflective and understand truly understanding how powerful these can be Um, and it was the first time I got a sense of I don't know if hopeful is, a, is maybe too strong of a word, but there's a balance act to all of this. Um, and so let's start digging into those hard questions. That's all I wanted to show because I just thought it was interesting. The word reflective, is that your paraphrasing or was that actually used? That is a uh, great question. I believe that's me paraphrasing. Okay. And the reason I ask that is because I'm that language to me just feels very you versus like what I've ever seen yeah. out of big tech. I'm very intrigued by it. I'm that. like, I love that idea of like, let's actually have a point of reflection on what algorithms are doing and the value of them and the... But I would normally use that talking from myself. Let's be reflective of this. I would actually very rarely, I think, associate yeah. that to the big tech company. So I think it's either I'm paraphrasing or they did and said something in the hearings that I was like listening to and in the interviews and the tech write-ups that I had, that was the sense that I got. So that's an interesting, actually, pointer. But I definitely got that sense was there was mm. a moment of reflection. Um, because normally these Senate hearings, you're like, it's shit questions. The senators clearly don't understand the technology. It's or making it's them look bad. You're getting... It's a show. It's a dog and pony show. The the representatives of the tech companies are just spewing Yeah, the 12 PR. talking points that they were allowed to do. Here's how you there bridge. You they ask um, you this question, get yourself back to a comfort set. No, thank you. Like, yeah. Nice. So I don't know, it was an interesting turning point and I thought it was just very 
of the moment and newsworthy mm. based on the couple of last conversation that we've had focusing on algorithms. Um, so the thing I want to chat with you about today. Um, yes. And I'm going to pose it this way for everyone listening. You should check out the there's a documentary that we're going to talk about. But would you consider WeWork a technology company? Yes and no. Yes, and that I feel especially in our bubble, like Silicon Valley tech bubble, everything has become a tech company these days. Like just there's, it's very hard to identify a company that isn't a tech company based on the technology that they're using, based on how people are engaging. So I say, yes, we work as a technology company only because the app that they have created to engage with the tech. So booking a room, booking your membership, updating your membership, inviting, all of that is very tech-centric and tech-focused. And it's all centered to the app, which sometimes is crazy because if you go to a WeWork, their first question is, have you put it on the app? Have you raised an issue on the app? Which absolutely drives me mad. So I think for that reason, I would say yes. And then I would say probably no, because they sell real estate or they rent out. They don't even sell. It's even worse. They rent out real estate. Why that question and why was that top of mind for you? That question. So one, because of what you were just talking about with big tech. And I think WeWork has become a household name in the past, let's say, five years or maybe. Yeah, five years, 2016. Um, And also are they like the culture at which we work creates or did create as both you and I were members of yeah. work that was a very tech centric culture everyone who was in there was like a part of a startup or that like you know an incubator it was a hub and yeah exactly it was an incubator hub but their actual business model had nothing to do with technology they didn't make money from people using the app they made money to a point from letting real estate 200 square feet if that glass boxes uh for an exorbitant amount of money all across the world um and the reason i'm bringing this up is because i know that you watched the documentary then i watched the documentary and a lot of it covered things that you and i have talked about for years around both building of a community also this idea that tech companies can kind of walk the walk without actually having done things right they're Mm. faking it till they make it yes uh but we work also pioneered in some ways this like work from anywhere type of atmosphere that we were forced into in COVID-19 um different in the sense that they were building uh physical spaces that all that people could come to wherever they were around the world Am I correct in thinking that you could have the local member where you were a member of one building or you could have like a global membership where you could actually go to New York, go to LA, go to London, Paris? That is what I had. I, That's what you had. Okay, they're yeah, like, they're nomad. So exactly. Wherever I was, I could pop into a WeWork. I have been to probably over 100 WeWorks in my life. Jesus. And so that is, that was like, that was the ease, like that was, it was like a Starbucks. It was like a membership to a Starbucks. It was a guaranteed place where you could come and work and feel at home and feel safe um, and have that sense of community. And it was, there was yeah. comfort. There was a comfort in WeWork. You knew what you were getting. Okay, question for you, because I know what my answer to this is, but where did you, where would you normally go? Because again, to position this, you like me, we traveled a lot. And so we did a lot of businesses in, in different markets. And we'd be basically, I think in any given day, you were probably better at this than me, but in any given day, you'd have, I'd have two or three or four meetings. You'd probably have about 10. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so you'd be jumping from one space to another. And I've spoken about this previously of, 
it would be a question of shit who am I going to see is my outfit okay do I need to change from heels to sneakers from a blazer to a leather jacket whatever you'd figure that out where would you normally go in between meetings where would you normally go but pre we work to hang out for five minutes and wait for your next meeting to change to grab a bite to eat a drink what would what was your normal schedule before we work I was always hotel lobbies I loved a hotel my god I'm the same I didn't know that that was you as well. but and then it doesn't yes. fucking surprise me because you and I every time we meet we go into hotel lobbies hotels They're like it's my favorite thing like love a good hotel lobby smells good you can get yourself a glass of wine or a nice cup of coffee you've got a lovely chair good background like it's just a good atmosphere it's so funny because it took me a while to gravitate to 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 hotel lobbies and I think I it was never I was always in that mindset this is a very European mindset versus an American mindset of I need to be invited to the hotel to go into the hotel lobby I need to be a guest I need to be member I need to be meeting someone that's there and that's a very European approach like you wait until you're invited you don't you ask for permission don't ask for for forgiveness until one day I was desperate I needed a bathroom and I was going and all the cafes were telling me sorry you have to buy something and I just bought lunch and I'm like I'm not spending because the money racks up also quickly when you do bar hopping or you go from one Nero cafe to a Starbucks to somewhere else and I just ran into the lobby of a hotel went to the asked for where the bathroom and I realized that no one asked me a single question no one had an issue with me being there and so I just hung out there and I can't remember when this was, but I think it was when I was in in Paris and I realized, shit, I love this. It's calmer. It's quieter. You can sit in a hotel lobby. No one will ask you for anything. There's generally good plugs to charge your laptop. And also there's no mm-hmm. creepy dudes. Very rarely there are creepy dudes. Um, so it's interesting. Okay. So you and I did the both pre-WeWork hotel lobbies. But even still with WeWork, I would do hotel lobbies. Like I, like if I'm at a conference and that conference is in a hotel, I'm moving from the conference space up into the lobby area. And like, not even just the lobby area, the like restaurant bar area. Um, so that I have that flexibility if I want to get a salad or if I want to get a fizzy water, whatever it is that I can without having to relocate my full self. And it's that community aspect that I've actually just thought of as well. Like it is that, like it is built, like the hotels are built for people to hang around and stay and stay as long as you want um, and feel at home. But also depending on where you, like why, so and I'll speak for myself. So if I'm out on the road for work, which I, God, I miss, mm. um, you're nine times out of 10 going to see people that you know when you're in a hotel lobby, especially if you're on an offsite that is a conference of 15,000 people and you're in one of the 10 hotels that are surrounding it it naturally leads to that like networking and organic conversation which we have I I'll speak myself I have truly truly missed this past what are we at 18 months, 18 months yeah. um where you have to join a zoom intentionally make like oh hi I, I know you can we can we catch up after this event can we do another zoom that isn't that the ability to build and expand your network from a professional capacity that there just inherently was when you're on the road for work. I think it was just easier when you're on the road also. You don't have to be so intentional about making those connections. They kind of gravitate, they happen because everyone's in the same space. I've actually had 
I found it easier to network and make those connections during COVID times. But I do understand that you have to be way more intentional for it. You have to go and seek it, basically, versus mm-hmm. the beauty. And again, I think that's what we work replicated is this beauty of hanging out in that lobby area of like, wait, what tech company do you work for? Oh, that's interesting. I saw you go by the other day. Well, and speaking of WeWork, like the and things that I knew to be true about WeWork before watching that documentary were their events. And if you were, like, if you did have a home location, it's like I had a Boston home location, you would get the notifications, but they were very, very good at putting on demo days. And for those of you listening that don't work at tech companies, it's a very common thing that technical, technical, technological companies will do either on a quarterly or a monthly or a weekly basis where their tech and engineering and product side will demonstrate to the rest of the company initiatives they've been working on, feature launches, product development, etc. And WeWork did that in a very communist ideal, which was, it was like competitors would be in the same room as each other, demonstrating what they were doing with feature development. And it was in a, um, like in, in, in an effort to create this commune feel, which both of the founders came from, right? This like, it is it's communist right like this idea of we are all on the same level like we all will share ideas and values and I think WeWork actually did a very good job of bringing people together to break bread for those types of initiatives that you just wouldn't see traditionally Mm. in a co-working space or in a in a competitive environment like tech companies and it's interesting because when you think of it, what WeWork replicated was not very different. And I remember my dad going, oh, this is like a Regis. And I'm like, don't know what a Regis is. And he was like, oh yeah, my God, either. you've made me feel so well. So a Regis is WeWork before WeWork was WeWork. But for corporates, I believe that they mirrored it on your business centers at airports. And so it had that very corporate feel. It was not fun. You like had these closed booths in which you could sit and work for a couple of hours. Um, and it was just funny because we were absolutely did not invent this. So and it was just an interesting thing for me of like this has existed for a long time. And again, mm. I think this is why it's not a tech company for me as well. Is like they haven't actually invented anything. A, they're subletting parts which is as old as it can be Uh, literally yeah it's co-working spaces which again the likes of Regis existed far far before them um and so it was interesting of like what was the special thing that they were adding and I think it became a tech company because it was geared towards that tech bubble and I think that was the thing that we work did that we work documentary did for me is my one big takeaway was, holy crap, these tech bubbles really are a thing that you and I could talk about WeWork and I realized that someone like my dad would have no idea what a WeWork was. And I was so much in that bubble. But the one thing I will say that I believe uh, WeWork did, they lowered the barrier of entry. For who? Because when, for people to uh, engage in it. Because when you talk about like a Regis, I think of like retreats or trade shows where people within the same industry would go and like be together. Mm. But there was a really, uh, elitist is the wrong word, but like you had to be invited. It's corporate world. To corporate, right? Like you had to be invited to participate in that. WeWork created this idea of anyone can be a part of this. Really? You just have to pay. You just have to pay. I still feel like WeWork had that sense of you've got to be invited to be a part of it. Wow, no, never experienced that, especially in their events. Like, 
I went to, I did trivia, I did happy hours, I did, I did, um... Yeah, but you were already in the inner circle. You know what I mean? No. No? No. I, when I moved back to Boston, I just showed up at the WeWork and went to their first pub trivia, which was, like, in the basement oh, of... that's so funny. The, okay. Like... But that was me, right? Like, I very intentionally was like, I've just moved back to Boston. We don't have an office here. So, like, how am I going to build my own professional network up again? I'm going to go to the fucking pub trivia. I'm going to go to the demo day. I went to a demo day, Tony, about fintech, right? Like, the, <laughs> which I was like, I would like to know about financial tech. Sure. <laughs> Didn't care. But, like, it was fun. It was great. Like, it I got to that. meet a bunch of people. Um, and that, to me, is what we work. They just completely, like, there was no barriers to you being a part of the community you just had to show up just had we work the wing the rise and fall of the wing tony what is the wing the wing came out of was the brainchild of these two women one of whom is um a, a politico in a political wonk in in washington dc she helped um on a bunch of campaigns um she clearly helped a bunch of politicians figure out who they were she was also she's a weird character because she was also on girls that tv series with lena dunham ah, um yes. she did a, yeah she did a couple of episodes there she was also tied for for some point to terry richardson i think that's his name the very well-known photographer that has had a lot of flack for being overtly sexual with his um female models um and i won't go down that but she's she's an interesting character and so the wing was a brainchild of these two women and very similar to what we spoke about when we spoke about why we enjoyed we work it was this idea of we are two women working women we're constantly changing our clothes because i do think that is something typical to women not to men of this idea of we don't actually have a one size fits all for different types of meetings um in the arcade world you're still expected in some venues to be wearing dresses mm. or in some venues to be wearing heels when you go to the parliament in the uk it's very specific you should be wearing a suit um and i think for men it's easier to spend the whole day in the same outfit for women it's a little bit more complicated our clothes are also a little bit less comfortable um than what the guys are allowed to wear and it's not as easy as slapping on a tie or taking yes. off a tie and so i think these two founders of the wing had this idea of you know i'm i'm hiding in caf in toilets and restrooms of cafes and bars and trying to slap on a new outfit or i'm trying to get two hours of sleep in a hotel lobby, there must be a safe environment. And very similar to what I enjoyed with hotel lobbies of this feeling of a safer space um, than what I would be if I was sitting in a restaurant or in a bar constantly. And so they created The Wing, which was uh, initially a women-only co-working space and gathering. Their focus was far more on the community than it was on the working space. Um, I was. They started in New York. They had, I think, four locations in New York. They opened one in um, LA. They opened one in San Francisco, to which I became a member um, for a short period of time. They opened one in London. Um, and then all of a sudden, it like crashed. And it crashed for a variety of reasons. Um, and I'm not the most versed to talk about this um, but it crashed because it so happened that they were and this has happened time and time again it was a company led mostly by white women to white co-founders who had created a safe space ultimately for white women not for women not for POCs, not mm. for black women. And then you also on top of that had the conversation, I think there was a massive lawsuit in New York for discrimination against men, which there's a whole fucking irony to that, which we're not even going to- Honestly. Yeah, yeah, which we're not even going to get into. But it does raise the question of, they had built a business model 
for only a certain population. And so there was a whole conversation about, do women really need a, a place? And I think we would both argue, yes, we fucking Absolutely. do. Absolutely. You could bring in male guests, but only one or I think two at a time, and they could only be guests. And they had to sign a waiver of like, you know, best practices and cordiality and all of that stuff. Um, but I have to say, and I remember saying this at one point, of it felt lovely to be in a space of a bunch of supportive women, but also in a space where I didn't feel I was ever um, looked at as a potential date. And then I had this moment mm. of, wait, I'm actually looking at this from a very cis white woman perspective that there are actually women who may be gay. And so they might actually, so I had this moment of, oh, I'm looking at this as someone who's only looking at relationships of ma men hit on women. And then I had this moment of, wait, catch yourself, woman. Tony. Sorry, I no go for it. I'm just I'm so angry about the which the I feel like I knew discrimination. About it. Yeah, the discrimination clause that in, in New York has anyone brought a lawsuit against the Freemasons? Of course not. Probably. Oh, oh, I shouldn't say of course not. Probably, and we haven't heard of it. Or probably, and it didn't actually go anywhere. And it didn't go anywhere. Like, and here's. And again, I would, I will try and find the right article and we can put it in the notes because I cannot for the life of me remember where this went. But what I do know to be true is they changed the wording and their membership to be more inclusive. So it was geared towards mostly women, but they made exceptions. And then that opened up the door to what about the non-binary folks? And that was obviously a very worthwhile and very important conversation to have. What about men who identified as women? And so they had they had had to flip, not flip away, but they had to, to do somewhat of a 180 in terms of this is a, a space created only for women to actually it's a more inclusive space and it's a safer space for women. Wow. I um... Tell me, what have you found? The women, so the wing quietly dropped its practice of banning men after a man filed a $12 million gender discrimination lawsuit against them. And so ooh, deep breaths because so this, and we're going a little bit off topic, but and maybe not actually, this is actually maybe bang on topic. Honestly, yeah. This is my thing. So they did a lot of things poorly. They did a lot of misjudgments. There was a lot of questions. And I think the most important to keep in mind is they had clearly created an incredible environment, an incredible community, but very much from the lens of white women for white women. And I know that's not what they intentionally set out to do, but that is clearly where they felt short. And there was a, you can read up on it, there was a bunch of conversations and a bunch of things that came up of the women of color black women did not feel safe or did not feel as welcoming there's a there was a fucking story about a redhead group of just like yeah redhead needs to, and as a redhead this just yeah. like irked me of like redhead needs to come together because you know we have it so hard in the world and again i don't want to compare i was bullied when i was a kid but in this, and this was in 2019, but in this time and era, now's not probably the time to create an all redheads group because of the plight of the redhead woman when we see what's happening to our women of color and we see what's happening to our black women. So it's like one of those where it's just like, are you blind? Are you, what the fuck's going on here? Um, if this was in 19th or what was it? If this was in the 17th century or 16th century where we were bur being burnt at the stake, yeah, okay, happy to have that era. conversation. Different times, different era. But here's what it brought up for me too, was holy crap. And so all of this, basically the business kind of dismantled. The main CEO had to step down. There was a whole group um, of women asking for certain things, asking for 
payments to be done, asking for conversations to be had, asking for changes to be made. The co-founder um, has now stepped up as being the main CEO. And obviously they've had to rethink their structure. They've had to rethink their diversity and their inclusion models. And the last I've heard is they are going to sl- slowly start to open up because obviously then this happened yeah. just before COVID. Then COVID happened. And just like we work, there was no room, there was no space. This was the last thing you wanted to do was going into a co-working space mm-hmm. during a pandemic. So they shut down their business model kind of fell it didn't probably help that we were yeah. invested in them and we work was doing its downfall so it all spiraled but what this brought up for me Sorsha, and i know you have strong thoughts about this as well was the bar is set so much freaking higher for women who start their mm-hmm. own businesses and i think partly it's our own fault in that we believe our our standards are higher and we're aiming for bigger visions like their vision unlike we work although i know it's a WeWork did have big visions, but theirs wasn't to create a community in a co-working space. It was to completely reshift the place of women in society and give women all the best that they deserved and reshape everything and do the best level events ever. I mean, they had Hillary Clinton as a guest speaker, like the pan, the, the, the guest speakers that they were able to bring, but they had grand, grand expectations. So they set the bar really, really high. And so when you set that bar really high for yourself, you can only but fall short from it. Um, but the other thing that it meant is well, I feel that women founders are under way more scrutiny than men are, Absolutely. just way more. And there was no way she had to step down. I don't know of a lot of other male-owned, male-driven, male-led um, companies where the CEO was so easily forced to step down. No. I can't, I actually can't name you one. And I know that's probably a stupid thing to say because there probably is one or two. But the away CEO... The Wing CEO. Bando. Jen Gotch. Like the list of women founders who have had to step down because they have failed is a fucking long list. And so that scares me. And especially in this moment, this moment of cancel mm-hmm. culture, right? The list, I'd actually, we should get that, Tony, for the notes of the number of women led companies that have been, and not saying that it wasn't rightfully so, but have been in a place at which they are forced to step down from the company at which they built. And I don't know if it, to your point, is it that we are, I feel like, and I'm both excited and I hate this, that we are expecting way more from women than we are from men. Just inherently. Yeah. And there's no room for error. And if you do fuck up, what you will never hear for dudes, but you will always hear for women is, well, that's why we don't have more female CEOs. Oh, all the time. And the flippant comments of, well, she's probably on her period. That? Yeah, too emotional to lead a company. It was bound to happen. And you see that everywhere, everywhere. And so this is the only piece of M. But I also, what I'm seeing is that women are holding other women way more accountable than men are holding other men. Mm. And so I think that's where the downfall is. We're not actually always helping each other. And I might regret saying this, um, but I don't think we're constantly, and I'm not saying that because she is a white woman, white women should support her and shouldn't listen to the women of color, the black women who came forward. There was a lot that they did wrong. But there seems to be a thing that women are very good at holding other women accountable to doing the right thing. And what that does mean is you end up in this endless loop of, well, I think the next best thing for you to do is like step down and this is what's happening, where men aren't doing the same thing. And so I just worry of 
is this going to hinder the amount of women who can start and lead their companies to where it needs to be? I have a really hard time with, and I don't know if it's, actually, let me rephrase that. I do know that I have personal bias. I know that I am a white woman. I know that I am an immigrant in this country. So I have a lot of bias that comes with my statement. But I don't know if I think it is the best outcome or option for people to step down. I think that there are some instances at which it is absolutely correct and necessary. But I think we as a society in the past 18 months, it became so easy Mm. to say you did wrong. So therefore, we're going to strip you of everything you did, as opposed to you did wrong, now work to fix it. And that's interesting for me, because I think women would be more, and again, a lot of stereotypes going on here, but women would are better equipped to do that exercise of internal reflection, stepping yes, back. Yes, 100%. And then coming back stronger versus men who might be and again I know there's stereotypes here and I know I'm being a little bit harsh to the men but history has showed me that that is much harder for men to do and yet we're not asking the men to step down but we're asking all the women to step down and to your point like this is my big thing with the whole cancel culture piece and god Sasha, you and I have had spent hours talking about this yeah. is and someone wrote it down and for the life of me I cannot remember who and I'm very sorry but it was just like cancel culture is the international export that Europe wants nothing to do with Mm. it is a very very American thing this idea of cancel culture is very very present in America ask anyone in Europe have you heard of cancel culture the fair chances they'll say no because it just hasn't come across to Europe. And there is, I think, I believe, more of an accountability and willing to do the work versus in America. And I worry for people. And and I think of you and I. Am I going to... I hope that I look back 10 years from now and listen to this episode and think, oh, that's a weird thing to say. But also, in that moment, in that contents, with the knowledge that I had, with the news that I had, with the information that you and I had, that mm-hmm. was the the most thoughtful thing I had to say in that moment. And I hope that 10 years from now, I go back and look at that and go, oh, glad things have evolved, glad times have changed, but look at it as a time capsule time versus capsule. cancel me. I was a dumb idiot, um, should have never said that. And again, I know you've got thoughts on this and I'll stop talking, but I think there's a difference there between being uneducated in something, contents has changed, the world has changed and being hurtful. But that to me, in current US society, those are completed. There isn't actually a distinguishable moment between I said something flippantly and I apologize for saying something flippantly and I'm going to do the work to not do that again versus you said something so therefore you should absolutely lose your business. You should no longer be able to be a public person out there in the world. Like... And I'm going to tie this back to an episode that we did four, four or five weeks ago, which was this, those conversations that you and I had is one of those things that led me to that question. Do you look at someone holistically or do you look at someone for the thing that they are well known mm-hmm. for and the thing that they do? I, can you be an asshole at home and a bad husband, but be a phenomenal CEO? And does that matter to us? And does that matter yeah. to you? Um, and again, I don't have the answer to that. It's just something that's always top of mind for me. Well, and to, to wrap us out on this, what does it look like to have co-working spaces moving forward? And are we allowed yeah. 
to have co-working spaces that are gender specific because I know for fucking sure as shit we're allowed to have co-working spaces that are industry specific and so what does it look like what is what's the work to be done to have gender specific Mm. spaces when there is a serious problem in the in the U.S. right now with transgender rights we know that there has always been a problem with african-american black people being involved and included in the ideas of gender only specifics or just people of color in general um when it's led by white people like what what's the work to be done to actually get to a place where we can have because to me those spaces are important and again i'll go back to fucking freemasons men's social groups and working groups have existed since the beginning of time and this was the thing with the wing that the the founders mentioned was female only groups have also existed since the beginning of time and then something shifted where it was no longer okay for women to come together as a because they might be witches and that was the age-old thing and why I always go back to one of my favorite books word slut of just like how words and things evolve and change for worse against women, against the woman, against that minority group. Oh God, I, and neither of us are parents. So this is, this will probably be something I'll look back on mm. and be like, why'd you say that? But um, I wonder if the wing was a dedicated mother in space, would there have been such controversy? Because women are allowed to come together and talk about being a mother. If their intention had been, let's bring women together to talk about motherhood and create a space for them. I think it would be a very different outcome because that's allowed. And this is what's crazy to me when I was looking at that, um, this guy who had sued them. um, And I, I was questioning, like, why are we so uncomfortable with that? But it's understanding, for me, it's like understanding why there is a need to what you were saying. Like, why is there a need actually for such groups? And then how can we change society? There is a need for women-only clubs because we need to have that moment of, thank fucking God there are no dudes around. I can rejig my bra. And that was the thing with the wing, is there were women doing things that I don't think they would ever feel comfortable doing Mm. out in the world. And you hear the story, like there's a workout room as well, and you hear the the amount of stories I'm hearing of women being harassed at gyms with dudes following them around. And again, like what would it be like to have a women's-only gym? I actually would fucking love that because I, God, do I think about what I wear when I go to the gym and I wish I didn't have to, should never have to. And I feel better when I do it with my husband. Well, it's the future of work. What is it going to look like for us to work in co-working spaces, regardless of which of those they are, but what does that look like moving forward? the end of this episode thank you for listening and if you do feel inclined to do so please give us a review this is absolutely what will help us grow thank you